Welcome back to It's Pronounced Memoir, a celebrity memoir podcast. It's like a book club where you never have to read the books nor ever attend. I'm Ann Imig, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Wendy Ahrens and Mariana Olenko. Today, we're discussing Martin Short's 2014 memoir from HarperCollins, I Must Say My Life as a Humble Comedy Legend, written with author David Camp. Fun fact, I looked up David Camp and he wrote the national bestseller, The United States of Arugula, a chronicle of America's foodways and the snobs dictionary series of humor books. Co-hosts, please tell me which Martin Short character should play you this week and why. Mariana, you're on mute, so that's a great way to start the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a character, a Martin Short character that's often muted? I don't think um, so. I think the character that should play me this week is his first one. And that is the guy who was a credit card in a woman's purse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I've been doing some shopping. <laughs> I feel like I remember that commercial and I tried to find it on YouTube and I didn't find it. But do you have memories of that credit card commercial that of a credit card that talked? I have no memories. I thought it was Canadian, no? So I this is why I'd make a horrible witness. <laughs> Suggestible. One of, the highly, many one of the many reasons. How about you, Wendy? Which Martin Short character should play you this week and why? I would uh, be played by the guy that is a very bad swimmer in the <laughs> SNL synchronized swimming um sketch because i'm not feeling well and i'm uh, been like clumsy this week and i need like nose clips i think um i would choose not that anyone asked but i would choose frank from the wedding from father of the bride only because i feel like i'm the wedding planner of my kids trying to get them organized for back to school um i don't comment on their fashion but um, I feel like a little mini dictator. No, no, no comment on Martin Short's statuesque five foot eight. Uh, and are you mispronouncing words? Uh, probably. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, that's oh, because, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Quick on the uptake, as always. So Martin Hater Short OC is a Canadian American actor, comedian, singer and writer. He has received various awards, including two Primetime Emmy Awards and a Tony Award. In 2019, Short became an Officer of the Order of Canada. So the OC does not stand for Orange County in this case. (laughs) He has even received medals from Queen Elizabeth II. A quick synopsis from Kirkus. Actor, singer, and spasmodic funny man Short delivers a memoir with cameos by his famous characters. I think we all listened to the audiobook. And what did you think of these spasmodic cameos? I, um, what's the word, detested it. <laughs> <laughs> it made me very, very nervous and uncomfortable. And the worst was yesterday I was getting a manicure and I was listening to it on audio. And while my hands were being manicured, he started singing and I could like, I so wish I could have pointed with my nose and like tapped the screen to make it fast forward, <laughs> but I wasn't able to. Not I, because my nose isn't long enough. I, I it just, uh, yeah, 
I'm not done. No, <laughs> no, I'm finished. <laughs> how do you no, really I, feel? How do you really feel? Well, when you had said that earlier in, in the week that you didn't like the interludes and I hadn't gotten to one yet. And I'm like, oh, come on, because I'm such a huge fan of him and all his characters. And then I listened to the first couple. I'm like, oh, no, this is not for me. I don't know why. It, it just, yeah. And I just Because laughed. you have ears. That's why not. <laughs> I thought they were really funny. I laughed loudly throughout the whole book. And although I really, really adore Martin Short and so many of his acting roles and singing, these characters aren't really my thing. So it surprised me that I was really entertained by the interludes. I don't think it would have translated at all if I just read the book because you have to be kind of familiar with his shtick. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe and that would have been and the voice, and maybe that would have been preferable uh, for both of your cases. <laughs> well, um, he, you know, I also have the book, and let me show you as proof. Oh, thank you. Um, and the interludes, like there's, you know, when he does, he said, and then I said, and the he said, so that's easier to read because when he was just narrating who said what, I also thought that was very painful. I mean, I have, I have a very low threshold for pain, so I don't you know, <laughs> want to overstate this. <laughs> Learning a little bit about his past, this all makes so much sense because when he was a young child, he would record his own bedroom variety show. And I loved his bits about this and how he would use tape recorders and he would research in the TV guide to see what celebrities were talking about on the TV shows that he was emulating. And he would do this whole thing just for himself. He never dreamed he was going to have a showbiz career as a kid. Um, and in fact, he his, it wasn't until senior year of college when he gave himself a year to pursue his dream or become a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> And that just makes me laugh. Pursue my dream or become a social worker. Um, Short got his first big break as part of the Toronto production of the off-Broadway smash Godspell. What I'm talking about now is from the Kirkus Review. And it says he even boasts the scene had a Paris in the 20s thing going on due to all the would-be stars that were around, including John Candy, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd, and Paul Schaefer. And most of them were associated with Godspell or the comedy group Second City, which he would later join and eventually many of them landing on SNL. Um, I loved all of this behind the scenes theater stuff. He shares a scene of being in auditions for Godspell and this young woman getting up to audition, seemingly clueless, singing zippity doodah. And he thought, like, what an idiot. Well, it turns out to be Gilda Radner, who knew exactly what she was doing, had seen the show on Broadway and knew that they wanted unconventional types. So I just I just thought that was such a cool uh, little glimpse. And then they he, he goes on to talk about they had a two year romance. Yeah, he was really he was very young, like 22, I think. They were all so young and. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Candy, it made me feel like the best of like high school or college theater started with Godspell and they've made a whole career of it. I mean, this this memoir goes on to talk about the social lives continue to intertwine professionally. It just sounds like a dream to me. I I agree. I was very uh, envious of his creative community and friendships that have gone on for decades 
I'm very envious. Um, I did love the line. I think it was attributed to Paul Schaefer, who said that theater in the 70s was obsessed with two things, full frontal nudity and Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and and what a great combination. Yes. <laughs> really. <laughs> And they um, all seemed like such nice people. Like they Canadians. seem pretty. Yeah. Ah, yeah, Canadians, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Martin Short's story is this combination of this dream life, these incredible creative combinations, a very happy childhood, but then also peppered with such hard losses. So back to the Kirkus review, he suffered the losses of his oldest brother, his mother and father, all by the time he was 20 years old. Um, and then we'll talk about his amazing friendship and love affair with his wife, Nancy Dolman. She was also a comedic actor. She was on Soap. Wendy, did you did you watch Soap as a kid? Yeah, but I was too young to really understand. I mean, I know of the show and who was on it. And I, she doesn't come to mind, but uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that. I remember it being on and not getting it. And then it's something that would be so worth revisiting because, yeah, I mean, everyone just touts it as so brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I don't remember it either, by the way. <laughs> Mariana's feeling left out, circling back to Mariana for the next question. <laughs> um, so just FYI. <laughs> FYI. Um, but for some reason, I'm confusing in my head with, the sitcom Benson, and I don't know why. Was the same because actor? Robert Guillaume was on both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm like, I don't think I made that up. Um. So he is ever positive. He reflects that these tragedies gave him a fearlessness about life. Though he was tenacious, he jokes that his tombstone will bear only the word "almost," as he never quite ascended to the official movie stardom he dreamed of, and that's what. I loved about reading this book is it stops in 2014 and he couldn't have imagined what was to come, but I didn't want to get ahead of myself. So back to him and Nancy, I think I forgot to mention she dies of cancer in 2010, I think. But the book opens during one of their arguments early on in their relationship. And she says, I want to talk to Ed, his character who will become Ed Grimley. And at the time it was a new character he was developing for second city, Toronto. And they have a conversation with him in character, which is so odd, but that this use of his alter ego and her calling it in is something that will be a theme for the course of their relationship. And it just like eases the tension. And there's a term called a repair bid when you're in a <laughs> conflict. And this is like one of their repair bids um, that helps them with arguments. I just thought that was so interesting. Very so sweet. Very sweet. Um, and I have a question for you. Marianne, I'm going to start with you. If your partner wanted to consult your alter ego during an argument, what would that look like? Taking a vow of silence. <laughs> <laughs> I think my partner feels like one of my egos is enough, so he doesn't need an alter. Uh, I, I think this is a shtick that would not work for me and my partner or anybody who knows me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I feel like you said it in the beginning. It would have your alter ego has taken a vow of silence. So you could just uh -huh. bring them in and then in your stead. <laughs> She's muted and nodding. Wendy, how about you? 
Oh, I don't know. I would say probably somewhere between um, Hulk Hogan and Laura Ingalls Wilder. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who would Chris I, want to talk to in the middle of your argument? Probably um, Mariana, because she's uh, uh, <laughs> taken a vow of silence. <laughs> well, well, what's yours, Anne? I know mine would just be a well-rested version of myself because usually I'm tired and I've stopped making sense when we get into these arguments. We're all going to have to work on our alter egos. <laughs> Moving on to his career trajectory. Um, so we talked about how he gave himself a year to get work as an actor. And I guess that was at the urging of his friend, actor Eugene Levy. So this whole posse of them went on to SCTV, Canada's Second City, and to Saturday Night Live, which he wishes he'd enjoyed more. He was kind of reluctant to even audition. And then he found the whole situation so stressful, which if you've watched any of the histories or read about what it's like to be on SNL, it is very intense. He's not the only one to experience that. It was very funny in this synopsis from the Washington Post. He said he moved from SNL, which he wishes he would have enjoyed more to Hollywood, where his awesome 80s hotness did not, alas, <laughs> translate into boffo box office. Short is endearingly self-deprecating. He tells us that one critic of his performance as Rocky in a gay prison drama said he was unconvincing, not only as Rocky, but also as a male. <laughs> this is from a Washington Post review by John Wall. Um, does anyone remember that bit about him filming a rom-com and doing nude scenes? That came as a big surprise to me. I don't remember that movie at all, but yeah, how he either. talks about finally getting a personal trainer and his <laughs> wife, Nancy, was like, oh, now you do it? <laughs> I looked up some of the pictures because I just, I couldn't picture it. And it looks like a cross between Barry Manilow and what's the the first... Oompa Loompa guy. My <laughs> oh, now Wendy's Charlie interested in the when Chocolate you said that. Factory, the original. Gene Wilder? Yeah, which is full circle because he was married to um, Gilda Good Redder. Job. Yeah. Thank you. I keep wanting to call on you, Wendy, because I just remember you talking about SCTV. Yeah, did, yeah, I watched it. It's did either of you watch it? It wasn't easy no. to find because it was it aired in Canada and then I think it aired in America. Briefly, but we were all like, you know, nine or 10 years old at the time. I've just seen the clips over the years and I've always been a big fan of those particular people. And I loved that he gave such praise to uh, Andrea Martin. He said she was the funniest human on the planet. And I love her. She's actually in the new season of Only Murders in the Building, which we can talk about soon. But uh, yeah, he's which just character does she play? I, I'm a, a few episodes in. She plays Joy, the um, makeup artist who's with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. I love her. Yeah. She's in the second season, too, actually. Yeah. 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 So, but he's so generous with talking about all of the other um, actors and comedians. And there's none of that jealousy. Um, maybe he has it. I think it'd be weird if he didn't. But he never says that. He's just always heaping praise on everybody else that he acted with and was in these shows with. That was another beautiful part of the book is just their family life and these friendships. So he and Nancy adopted three kids, Catherine, Oliver, and Henry. 
And they took these amazing family and couples trips. Like they own a luxury vacation home in Ontario, uh, along with Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn and Steven Spielberg and Kate Capshaw. They would vacation in Sun Valley with Bruce Springsteen. They were dear friends with Nora Ephron. They would throw these incredible Christmas parties, which we're going to get to in a second. Um, but even just some of the quotes on his book, on the book jacket, are hilarious from all of these people. Like Tom Hanks writes, as long as I've known him, I've tried to figure out what makes Marty tick. Now I have to read this book to find out what a rotten Canadian trick. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Schaefer says this book, like Marty's life, is a nutty, marvelous affair. Amy Poehler says Martin Short is a comedy superhero, and this book is a peek inside his fortress of solitude. And then Steve Martin says, I read it back to front and was surprised by its shocking beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and one more by Larry David. What a wonderful book. If only it was about someone else. Oh. <laughs> and there's, nice. there's pictures in the book itself. And there is one of him. I mean, you can tell from his characters that Martin Short loves disguises. But there's one of him as Larry David that looks exactly like Larry David. I didn't even know until I read the caption that it was Martin Short. Oh, yeah. Since I did audio, I don't I didn't see any of the photos. That's a shame. Marianne, I feel like you had something to say, and then I just steamrolled over it with my book. No, 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 not at all. I was just looking at the pictures, enjoying the fact that I have them in the book. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Wendy. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, So they have these incredible Christmas parties, which I mean, Nancy would joke about like it's his opportunity to sing and make everyone listen. I mean, he's got real Broadway (laughs) credits to his name, but he loves to sing. He loves to perform. And they would have, they would invite all their guests, their celebrity guests to perform. There are just incredible stories of different celebrities and what they would do. So I have another question. What would you do, Mariana and Wendy, if he asked you personally to come up with something to perform at his annual Christmas party? How would you entertain the crowd? Oh my God, Anne. I mean, I I have really no artistic talent and I don't even like I'm Jewish. I would not go to the Christmas show. <laughs> that's that's your regrets. I you know, I don't know. I think my again, the silence would come in really handy. I just can't entertain anybody. But maybe I would tell a joke. Yes. Yeah, you could do that. Think yeah, about, yeah, I w- think about which joke and then you can share it with us. Yes. Okay. On the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, page- that's the cliffhanger <laughs> for paid subscribers only. What about you, Wendy? I think I would have to do some kind of um, dance to Wham's Last Christmas, although I'm not a very good dancer. Ooh. So I'd probably wind up doing like aerobics moves from the 80s because that's all like lots of grapevine. But that's exactly what they did. So That's it would true. Be perfect. That's true. I think it would bring down the house. I think Tom Hanks would just like have to fan himself. I love <laughs> this idea. Um, my solution to this was to invite Steve Martin to do that thing where they come behind you and use their voice and their hands and you just stand there mutely. So I would be like the human Ooh, puppet. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so where are we? In addition to all the hilarity of the book and the Hollywood stories, one thing that was really impressive is something that he calls the nine categories. What do you remember about this? He said that he 
made this system when he had a lull in his career to remind him that his self-worth wasn't tied up in what he was working on at the time, which I thought was really smart. So he has nine categories that he check in on, like, how is my health? How are my relationships with my friends? How is my relationships with my family? I don't remember all nine of them, but he said every day he does this. He's done it for 35, 40 years. Yeah, he gives himself a rating for all the different areas of his life. It's all written down in a journal, and then he eventually moves it over to an Excel spreadsheet. Self, immediate family, original family, friends, money, career, creativity, discipline, and lifestyle. And his manager at the time, this guy, Bernie Brillstein, he was convinced he could make millions off it by writing a self-help book. But he was really clear that he didn't want to push it on anyone. He said, I preside over a cult of one. And a quote that I love is, my happiness was never predicated first and foremost upon my career. It's an outlook that has served me well. And as a positive psychology coach myself and someone who personally used to have so much of my self-worth determined by what I was doing or what goal I was attaining, there's a lot of neuroscience to back up exactly what he's doing um, as a way to enjoy your day-to-day life. Like having goals is important, but not if it is stealing your happiness from the beautiful life around you. And he has also, as a person who has gone through such traumatic losses, it's easy, you know, people talk a lot lot about PTSD, but there's also called something post-traumatic growth. And he just embodies it. And he shares about it so beautifully. The night that Nancy died, he said to his son about his mom, Henry, I know it seems unimaginable, but you are being empowered tonight. I told him you are being given something that is horrible, but is also a life lesson. This will make you stronger. This will make you more determined. You'll be in your office somewhere someday. And some pompous asshole will say something to you. And you'll supposedly be upset. And you'll supposedly be fearful for your boss's reaction. But then you'll think, this is gravy. This is fine. I couldn't care less about this prick. I'm not upset now. I was upset the night my mother died. And I just love that moment in the book. And I think that it's such a great lesson to take. It really yeah, is. Seems, and, oh, go ahead. Go. He seems to have such a healthy approach and such a balance to life. Like he's so, I mean, I want to say wholesome. Like, yes, he lives in incredible luxury and very lucky professionally, but he works hard and they never, he and Nancy just have an amazing love affair and they don't really steer very far from their family. Like it's all incorporated with their friendships. It's, I, I was, I was very, I don't know, surprised, but impressed by his wisdom, just life wisdom. Uh Me too. Yeah, I was too. I was really surprised by how grounded and just genuinely happy and even keeled he is because he is such a creative genius. And generally that could, you know, those people are often tortured or they have demons in their past and he really doesn't. And he says that, that he's just by nature a happy person. And yeah. I think that's yeah. what what attracts everyone to him. One thing I really loved was when he talked about first meeting Steve Martin when they were doing The Three Amigos and how he has this approach that when he's meeting somebody famous or intimidating that he's never met before, he just fast forwards and acts like they've already been friends for three years, <laughs> this immediate intimacy. 
And I, I think I've done that to some extent in my life, but I thought that was such a smart way of, you know, coping with this. He's not nervous. He's not, you know, putting himself beneath this other person. And I don't know, I guess this is all just like innate. It's his inherent personality that he knows how to do these things. Yeah. And it's, yeah, his mom set such an incredible example too. Like when she first was diagnosed with cancer, I think she was only given a few months or maybe a year to live, but it seems like by sheer force of will, she lived like another five years. And there was a mm-hmm. miraculous recovery where the cancer went away and no one could explain it. And she had all these extra happy years with her family. And I also love his honesty. He makes lots of mistakes, but because he is open with his wife and addresses them, like he once introduced her as like, I took her out of the chorus Making yeah. a joke. Oh, yes. And she was like, don't ever do that to me again. And, you know, he chose to put that in the book. And not only was he honest, but it like showed how he listened to his partner and never did again. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love that scene because that's when they're eating at that fancy California restaurant. Um, I think it's called French Laundry. French Laundry. And so I think he's making jokes with the waiter and the waiter's not cracking a smile. And then he makes that comment about pulling his wife out of the chorus. And so she's really embarrassed and there's this tension. And he said, um, he said something like, listen, we have to enjoy this meal and finish this argument. And she says, well, why? And he said, because it's going to cost us $3,500. This meal is costing us. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, you could just not... How could she not laugh at that? And of course she did. And they had a great meal. He's just a very charming, honest person. If only he sang a little less. (laughs) Well, one thing he did that I loved, because if you want to get these great old Hollywood stories or TV stories, he tells the anecdotes, but they're crafted in such a way that there's a punchline. Uh, which I just loved that I thought that was such a great way to write it, which makes, you know, we were all laughing while we read this, but he has one story in there about performing some sketch at SNL and it just bombed and there were crickets. Nobody was laughing. It was terrible. And he gets off stage and he goes up to Christopher Guest, who was also in the cast and said like, God, that was terrible. Couldn't they have at least turned on the applause sign? And Christopher Guest stares at him in deadpans. They did. <laughs> so he has so many stories like that where there's like the beginning, middle, end. And if you've ever seen him do a show with Steve Martin, have either of you gone to that? No. I've just seen it on Netflix and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he tells, uh, there are a couple of the stories in that show that were in the book that I recognized. But yeah, he's so good at it. And he tells an amazing story about meeting his idols like Frank Sinatra and just mm-hmm. like making the ass of himself. And I couldn't even summarize those meetings because they are crafted so perfectly in the book. Yes. So Steve Martin and Martin Short, they've been friends since the Three Amigos. And one of my favorite parts of reading this was knowing this huge success beyond what they could have imagined or dreamed for their careers in their 70s of only murders in the building. And I wonder if he still feels like his tombstone should read almost it's not movie success, but wow. Like, I don't know if these figures are right. It says that in Saturday Night Live in 1975, he made 20 grand a, a week. That sounds actually kind of high <laughs> for 1975 for this new show, but only murders in the building in 2021. It says he makes $600,000 per episode. Now I realize that's not a cool million like friends, but I thought that was a pretty amazing comparison. 
Well, and he was nominated for an Emmy for that too, and Steve Martin wasn't, which I found interesting. So yeah, that's surprising. Surprising, but I yeah, hope they that just, hasn't caused a rift between them. I know, maybe that's <laughs> the next book. But he just—they just seem like they're having the time of their lives. I think Steve Martin's almost eighty now, um, and to have that this you know, second wind or third wind, what have you. It's so smart. They were just on Conan. I think you sent it to me, Wendy, and they were hilarious. And I love the way they get Conan's goat. I mean, especially Martin Short. It is just, and the way that they can make Conan laugh is like no one else. It's hilarious. And that colonoscopy prep that they do together, I thought was very adorable <laughs> and really something we should all, you know, be penciling in to do Yeah, together. we have to get that on the calendar. Well, um, like five of them, <laughs> those two, and Tom Hanks, and Was it Paul Schaefer? I can't Maybe. remember. Maybe. So do you think that you have to be either a Martin Short fan or a comedy fan to love this book? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that that would help, of course, but it's a entertaining read from start to finish. And I found myself looking up some things like the SCTV Jerry Lewis bit, which I didn't remember. So you could do that if you want to familiarize yourself with it. But as we mentioned before, all of his life lessons and his perspective and all of that, I think that's a huge takeaway, even if you aren't necessarily coming into it as a fan of his. Yeah, I agree. I, I've always liked Martin Short. I'm not a super fan. I haven't seen a lot of his work, although Clifford is one of my favorites. And I completely <laughs> had forgotten about it when he plays like this 40 year old child, basically. That is bizarre. Um, is it really one of your favorites? Or are you kidding? Well, I mean, I loved it when I saw it and I, I like it's not something I make my friends watch with me like and say, this is who I am, you know, <laughs> come, come join me in this viewing. But um, but I really, really do enjoy it. Did enjoy I, it I totally I mean, thought he was talking about the big red dog. For I a did, while. too, at first. OK, all right. And then I remembered and then I remembered, <laughs> although I mean, it's just a little um, segue or whatever that's called in English, like that story he tells how he was going to nair his legs so that they would be smooth like a child's and then he forgets. And then do you remember that? So he's on the set and he's having these women nair his legs and then he realizes that his penis is out the whole time. <laughs> like out of his shorts, like I had to reread that because I'm like, why was your penis out if they were nearing your legs? What, what he meant is like falling out of his shorts. Well, right. Where else would they fall out? <laughs> I just where else could I fall out of? I thought he was just sitting there naked. I did. I like. I missed oh, that little. Okay. That little bit. No. No pun intended. No harm. <laughs> so, but but yeah, but I think like Wendy said, this book has a lot of life advice. It's almost like how to live a life in complete luxury and with funny friends. So I think it's enjoyable, even if you've never heard of Martin Short. When I think millennials. I think so many times, or Jerry Lewis, for that matter, I think so many times um, when celebrities try to write a memoir, they want to add in some sort of like greater meaning or life lesson. And it was so organic and real for him. I'll read one more quote that I think really wraps it up and speaks to it. It says, the lesson is, I suppose, a major reason I wrote this book, because along the way, I've picked up the wisdom that bad things happen. And yet the sun still comes up the next day and it's up to you to carry on living your life and keeping your setbacks in perspective. 
you also have to understand that on some level, these horrible and sad things happen to everyone. The mark of a man is not just how he survives at all, but also what wisdom he's gained from the experience. Yeah, that's great. And I didn't yeah, even... Yeah, it is great. Did you did you catch that he had a ghostwriter? I didn't even catch that until I was doing the notes. No, I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, I caught it because you mentioned it. Because you mentioned it. But the audiobook, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's saying things that aren't coming from him directly. I think they did a great job. And I am really struck by the humility. This is someone who can write. I mean, he's yeah. written for, you know, for SNL, and I'm sure many other things and the humility to say, I want a ghostwriter, or I want to co write this with someone. You know, so many people who should have ghostwriters don't. And I just think that really, again, speaks to him and his the balance mm-hmm. of his ego of like, yeah, I want this book to be the best it can or who knows what the factors were maybe he was too busy or whatever but mm-hmm. it really worked yeah good point and i would go back to saying what we were talking about before about reading it even if you're not a fan of his necessarily but he has such empathetic and wise things to say about the grieving process both with his mom but especially losing his wife when he was 60 years old and i found that to be really moving and also optimistic so it's and anybody who's going through that or everybody can relate to it or will at some point. I think that was such a, a wonderful addition to the book. And not because she passed away, but you know what I mean? Um, because she passed, right. Yeah. We'll just leave it there. Thank you so much. See you next week. No, it ends. He's, you know, people will say that death doesn't end a relationship and he is a living example of this. He converses with his wife actively. And that's how the book ends is them having a conversation with his wife. It is so poignant and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think such a beautiful model for people, especially who suffer early losses like he has. That was just so poignant. He really has so much to offer that a lot of people maybe haven't yet experienced, depending on the age of the reader. I think another thing I'll take from this book, I didn't really think of this until we were talking, but here's this hugely accomplished group of performers. And like you said, Wendy, envy and jealousy had to pop up from time to time. But as you're reading this, you would never put one higher than the other. You would never remember who got that movie one. All you know is that these amazing creative collaborators who stayed friends. And that's what's important. And that nobody's going to remember whether that book was a bestseller or how much that movie grossed and things that can feel so important at the time. His perspective is just really a beautiful example for how to live a happy life. Yeah. Yeah. And he nailed it. That's, that's very true. Even when he, he and Gilda broke up and it was kind of acrimonious that didn't even last long and they were still lovely friends until she passed away. There's so much. There's yeah. a whole, there's a lot about Nora Ephron. They were really mm-hmm. good friends. There's so awesome. many interesting anecdotes and really funny quotes. Mariana, what will you yeah. take from it? I think, I mean, I love that whole era in the 70s and the 80s that he was writing about with Gilda because I just, she was my first introduction to um, comedy, I think, when I was very, very small. Um, and I just, Love that he preserved that era in the book for us. But it was also, I mean, this is one of the very few books that made me both laugh and cry. Like I was sobbing this morning when his wife died. And 
the whole process of letting go and just um but it was also you know very funny when Kathy when he was on Kathy yes. Lee and oh, he was I'm doing an interview so, glad you brought that up. so he was on Kathy Lee and it was two years after Nancy died and Kathy Lee says and this was live and she says so you and Nancy Nancy had one of the all-time great Hollywood marriages and he says thank you and she says so how long has it been now <laughs> So and he can't like do anything because they're alive and he doesn't want to embarrass her. But which is but, so you know, generous and amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he also I mean, that chapter, I think, is called Kathy Lee was right because they are still together um, yeah. in a sense. Right. So that was. Like, <laughs> oh my God. So it's nice that Kathy Lee's right once in her lifetime. Yes. About yes. Oh, we should read her memoir. Oh. Yeah, oh, I mean, yes, yes, we I'm should. Sure she does. <laughs> yes, she does. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> this was awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to its pronounced memoir and our review of Martin Short. We will see you soon. Au revoir. Bye. Au revoir. <laughs> Thank you. But he looks like a combo of like Eugene Wilder and Barry Manilow. Can you say that again and say Gene Wilder? Yeah, why you keep saying Eugene? You keep saying Eugene Wilder. I guess because of Eugene Levy. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. (laughs) More editing to figure out.